Coming up on this episode of Up for Debate, it's Marketing Stunts Part 2. This time, the ones we liked, the memorable ones that worked, got that product name out there. We're going to talk about a number of them coming up right now. This is Up for Debate, episode number 122, recorded September 20th, 2018. Marketing Stunts, Mission Accomplished. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Up for Debate, the debate podcast with the two hosts agree on everything. I'm Sean Jennings, joined as always by the 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 king of PR, the the master of marketing, the head of all things attention grabbing. It's it's Mr. Matt Mariani. Hello, Matt. Hello there, Sean. Ready to uh, get some marketing stunt? Yes. Stuntacular. You ready to stunt? We can edit that in post. Yeah, you ready to stunt some uh, stunt some marketing? I'm ready to to get stunted left to right, Matt. You name it. Before we do, I'm going to hijack the show about 60 seconds in uh, uh -oh. because I forgot because we didn't do the show for a little while. I forgot I had to bring this up, Matt. Now, do you remember? And fans may remember this. It seems like a long time ago. It was only a couple episodes ago. Or on our shark episode, I started off the conversation asking what the best muffin flavor was. Do you remember this? Uh, I do, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we had a great debate. We went back and forth, and you threw me for a loop because you said, Sean, orange muffins are the yeah. best flavor of oh. muffins. Mm -hmm. And I said, Matt, I've literally in my life never seen a container of package of, of orange muffins. I wasn't even sure they existed. I thought it was some concoction you dreamt up. <laughs> yes, I know. You were very incredulous about these orange muffins. You doubted me very much. I did, but I made a commitment. Okay. I said... I promise as next time I'm in the store and I see orange muffins, I will buy them on the spot and I will try them for the show. Okay. And how were they? We taped that on a Thursday and that Sunday I was at the grocery store and when, goddamn, you know it, sitting there, <laughs> one single container of orange muffins. Yes. Of course, I had to buy them. So I picked them yes. up. I took them home, made, made a nice cup of coffee. I sat down. I took a bite of that muffin and Matt, I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, I'm not going to hold back. This show's all about honest opinions. That was the single greatest muffin I've ever had in my life. And how I have not yes. known these have existed makes me question everything about my existence. You have seen the light. Uh, Matt, I have seen the light, and there's no going back. <laughs> what an incredible idea for a muffin flavor. Orange muffins, incredible. I told you. I told, and I, I, was, I was very sure of it. If you had incredible. tried orange muffins... Then you would enjoy them. Um, I actually, right after that episode aired, I, I I made an attempt to try to find some orange muffins. I was going to mail you some orange muffins. Oh, that's but, very sweet. Um, I can't seem to find them down here. I haven't I, seen I'm, any since that one package. They're getting, they're like super rare. I just, I remember them in my childhood. I, I would have them all the time. Like they would just be, they the store. Stores would have them all the time. I don't know. Maybe it's a 90s thing. but They, they always have piles of corn muffins, but they never have orange muffins. So, yeah. Uh, no, so you no, like no. the orange muffin. Matt, I got to tell you, that was – it was it, – you know what it was that I loved about it? The problem I have with some muffins is the really flavorful muffins end up being too sweet. I don't like a very sweet muffin because that's a cupcake, right? I, I like I like a, a more of a – just like a good baked good. It doesn't have to be sweet. What I liked about the orange one is it was exploding with flavor, but it wasn't sweet. It was yeah, just orangey. Yeah, it's an it was orangey zest. zest. It was. It, it was. I loved that. That's kind of why I like blueberry muffins. 
because it kind of just tastes like blueberries. They're a little bit sweet, but it's not like a chocolate or kind of like any where they really overdo the sugar. It was just super, super orangey, which was great. My mouth is salivating just talking about it. Good. So I'm glad you enjoyed your orange muffin experience. Thank you, Matt. And a follow-up. All the fans have been asking, Sean, when are you going to eat that muffin? Mark (laughs) it off your list. We've done it. Hashtag he ate that muffin. (laughs) Hashtag he ate that muffin. (laughs) I'm I'm honored at that hashtag. Uh, Now, Matt, I just want to make sure I didn't forget to bring that up again. But, Matt, we do have to get into this show. If folks didn't watch last week's episode, number 121, Please do go check it out. We started our conversation on marketing stunts, Matt. This was an idea you had to talk about sort of PR stunts, promotional stunts, ways uh, companies are getting the word out about their products. Last week, we spent a whole hour talking about the bad ones, the ones that went poorly. What happens when you put a bunch of dry ice into a swimming pool? What happens when you drop one and a half million balloons over the city of Cleveland in the 80s? We, what happens when you promise every American a free can of soda? We talked through all that last week. So if you haven't seen that episode, go check it out. It's available on the website right now up for debate.tv. But Matt, tonight, part two of our marketing stunts discussion, we're talking about the ones that worked, the ones that succeeded, uh, and the ones we thought were really cool ideas. Um, and I'm sure you've got a number of them picked out for us to, to discuss tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. You want me to jump right in? Oh, go for it. Okay. Um, the first one I picked out uh, is... A company that we all know and love and treasure, near and dear to our hearts. Uh, it's the one and only Taco Bell Corp. Ah, Taco Bell. the bell as some people call it. Taco Bell Corporation. So um, their marketing stunt, the year is 1996. Um, April the 1st should be a nice uh, uh, foreshadowing for how this, this marketing stunt is going to go. So on April 1st, 1996, Taco Bell premiered an ad in the morning edition of the New York Times. Um, It was a headline that read, Taco Bell buys the Liberty Bell. Um, And the ad ad would go on to explain uh, that Taco Bell had purchased the rights to the actual Liberty Bell in, in, in Philadelphia. And that they would be renaming it the Taco Liberty Bell and... Um, that they would still allow the American public to continue to, to, to visit. However, um, they, they would sell like Taco Bell. There would be Taco Bell um, stands around selling Taco Bell food and uh, things like that, Taco Bell souvenirs around the Liberty. So it was going to be the Taco Liberty Bell. And then while you're there, you know, grab yourself a nice um, – a nice uh, – chicken quesarito or whatever you want while you're looking at the Liberty Bell. Uh, Believe it or not, how do you think that, first of all, yeah, you know, I'll I'll ask, uh, how do you think that, how do you think the response to this would go? You had to decide. You know, it is interesting, Matt, because this was, this was in the pre-internet time. You know, this was, this was back before kind of April, companies pulled a lot of April Fool's pranks. This was back before, um, it, it was commonplace. So I think, I think people thought it was real. I think, I think people definitely think it was, it was a real thing. Yes. Apparently tens of thousands of Americans all thought this was a real thing. So they, they called into, um, Taco Bell and they also called into the, uh, the historic park, the, the national park that owns the Liberty Bell site in Philadelphia, uh, called in their complaints, um, 
by the time that they had all figured out that it was just an April Fool's Day joke, since it was on April Fool's Day, the company's revenue had increased by 1100 well, five, 500000 the first day, $500,000 the first day, and then the second day, an additional $600,000 in revenue after that. So, um, and that's all compared to the previous week's sales before the prank. So, um, the lesson learned here is that, um, you know, sometimes a silly prank like this, uh, I guess it pays to, to keep a sense of humor about things. Yeah. I, I, again, I don't think you could probably pull this off today, not to this degree. And I think it is a good lesson for companies that try and do April fool's pranks today, which is don't do it because we've already, it's already been done. They're not funny (laughs) anymore. I'm going to be honest. They're not funny anymore. I think something that when I, when I read this, the first thing that popped into my mind was the IHOB thing, right? Um, this was like a joke version of the IHOB because yeah. I, I, I we, we discussed on last week's episode, we weren't entirely sure one way or another if, you know, if IHOP was totally serious about that or if they were uh, – it was that, – that itself was just a marketing gimmick. So this wasn't like a full rebrand of a company. But what I mean in the, in the sense of this is that it was um, – it's just one it's, – it's changing the perception of your company – in the public eye and doing it in a very inexpensive way, which is, I guess, how this would have differentiated from IHOB rebranding, which would have been Mondo expensive. Right. So this is a cheap way to, to alter, you know, kind of alter the image of the company in, in, in your, in, in the public sphere, you know, the taco Liberty bell, like we now own a piece of American iconography. I mean, piece of American history. Now, Matt, you're a historian, sort of. Uh, I, I just play one on TV, Sean. Okay. But. How would you feel if this were true? If Taco Bell had actually bought the naming rights? Let's let's say they didn't purchase the actual bell, but they purchased mm-hmm. the naming rights to the bell, and it therefore officially, on paper, on the signs, in the history books, had to be referred to as the Taco <laughs> Liberty Bell. How would you feel about that? Um... Well, I'm conflicted here because you have to remember, I like history, but I also love Taco Bell. Two great tastes that taste great together. Just saying. So it's, I would be so conflicted. If it were any other company, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about it. But Taco Bell, I could get used to it. I'd call it the TLB. Catchy? Yeah. Also, Philly doesn't really have much else going for it, so... Taco Liberty Bell, you got some more Taco Bells in Philly. I think, I'm sure they could do some great cross promotions with that Philly cheesesteak burritos or something. Yeah. Which sounds amazing. Uh, uh, I want to write that to Taco Bell right now. But if you're a Taco Bell rep and you're listening, cheesesteak burritos grilled. Oh, Note it. That's the way to go. Um. But yeah, uh, there was apparently a, a similar stunt, speaking of historical companies, and I won't spend too much time on this one, but there was a similar stunt in 2006, the company called ProShade, which makes a three-in-one gadget that combining a visor, sunglasses, and lanyard combination. They did a um, marketing stunt. They wanted to spend $4 million 
to put a logo visor on each of the president's heads in the uh, on Mount Rushmore. They wanted to put one of their one of their um, like a large version of one of their products on each of the president's heads. Now, in this situation, the National Park Service just declined right away and said that's not happening. So I don't think that's. I mean, Taco Bell makes sense because their logo literally is all bell like the Liberty Bell. Right. Like that's kind of more one to one than the sketchy mm-hmm. folks over at Pro Shade. <laughs> Yeah. One other uh, one other thing I do like about this story is that uh, then White House press, press secretary Mike McCurry was asked about it in a uh, in a presidential in a uh, briefing in a press briefing, and he responded that the federal government was also selling the Lincoln Memorial to the Ford Motor Company and renaming it the Ford Lincoln Mercury Memorial, <laughs> which I appreciate the the joke there. So yeah, no, that was that's a it's a really good one. Yeah. So. So that's number one, marketing stunt, the Taco Bell, the Taco Liberty Bell. I love it. Well, I got one, Matt. Yeah, what's um, what you got? One of my all-time favorites. I don't know if, yeah, it might be a stretch to call it a stunt, but I'm going to do it anyway because I really like it. Matt, have you heard of the Domino's Pizza Corporation? Uh, I believe I have, yes. Yes. They were famous for something back in the day, and that was having a very crappy pizza. Do you remember this? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, I do. I know I know where you're going with this. Yep. Yeah. Well, the CEO at the time, uh, here's a quote from him. When we did consumer tests, if they knew the pizza was Domino's, they actually liked it less than if they had just thought it was a random unbranded pizza. We had somehow created a situation where people liked our pizza less if they knew it was from us. So, yeah, that was a problem. Um, and so they went and they improved the pizza, but how were they going to roll it out? They decided to admit to the world, our pizza sucks. So you may remember they ran that famous series of, of that ad campaign um, where they came out and uh, and just admitted in the commercial that our pizza's not very good. They posted all the, the tweets of people saying their pizza was garbage, that it tasted like cardboard, the sauce tastes like ketchup, we hate it. And they promised to turn it around, and wouldn't you know, it worked. Same store sales ra- uh, rose more than fourteen percent in the first three months of 2010. Um, the uh, Domino's revamped about eighty-five percent of its menu over the next two years and improved on all of it. And the entire uh, business has never been stronger. Now at a uh, a record stock price. Yeah, I still I still remember those commercials. Like, yeah, we know that our pizza sucks. I mean, it was a big deal at the time. I don't remember anyone else having really done that in that no, way. No, and um, that that's kind of started the trend of um, self-awareness in advertising. I mean, I'm sure it was around before this, but that 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 really hit the, the mainstream. Um, that really hit the mainstream with that kind of, you know, self-parodying. Uh, KFC was big on it, you know, with the, the kernel, and they would keep replacing the kernel. Um, using humor has always been part of advertising. I think, uh, humorous images and, and comedians slapstick, but the, the, yeah, the, the self self parodying of the Domino's commercial, I remember being, um, being really new for its time, like just, you know, kind of breaking the fourth wall and acknowledging that their pizza is garbage (laughs) and, uh, why would anybody want to eat this crappy pizza? Oh, and and you know what? They it, it would have just been words, 
but they actually I think they actually delivered on it. I want to say that um, for fast food pizza, Domino's now isn't bad because I think they really did revamp something in it. I don't know if it's they 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 change. I want to say they changed the crust. According the crust to, tastes distinctly different. According to this article, they enhanced the quality of the mozzarella and the flour, added garlic butter to the crust, and infused the marinara with flavor yeah. and sweetness. Yep, and I, and you can and you can really taste all three of those major changes. Yep. Um, so good for Domino's for, uh, making, for making, for writing a wrong. Yep. And they followed it up. Of course, you may remember with a series of different campaigns, they had one where they said, uh, oh, the pizza they photograph in most pizza commercials is fake. We're only going to do commercials with photos of pizzas we make. They had one where they asked customers to send in pizzas that had been delivered in a uh, damaged in delivery and they promised to not do that anymore. So being pretty mm -hmm. upfront with, uh, with people being unhappy, about their uh, their pizza landing, so good on uh, good on Domino. Some strong marketing to to turn the company around. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next one that I have, uh, I wanted I I want to just uh, diverge from from the food companies. Yeah, please do for a moment. I guess this is still kind of a, I don't know. This is a drink, an energy drink, an energy drink by the name of Red Bull. Monster. No, damn it. <laughs> Uh, crunk juice. No, um, the Red Bull. Sean, do you remember the uh, Red Bull Space Jump, the Stratosphere Space Jump? Vaguely. So when when I think of publicity stunts and companies performing stunts, you know, this is probably the only one that comes to my mind that that is literal, quite literally a stunt. Mm. Uh, oh, I mean, for there, sure. there are others. Uh, evil Knievel style, but this one, um, I think this one kind of blew them all away. So this happened back in 2012. Uh, a man by the name of Felix Bumgardner became the first person to break the sound barrier. The first person to individually break the sound barrier without the use of a vehicle. Wow. Um, by falling 23 miles from the Earth's stratosphere into the Earth's atmosphere and then down uh, to the Earth. The sun was captured on YouTube and pulled in around 8 million viewers, which seems a little low. I thought it was a lot high, but I guess live, 8 million people watched this live, happened live. Um, so he plummeted from the stratosphere uh, into the Earth you can still watch the videos today. Uh, I didn't. I Sean. I admit I didn't. I didn't watch it happen live when it was happening. <laughs> but I do remember it being a big deal, and, and every news media outlet was covering it at the time. I think they just wanted to see if this could be done. But how about that? Break, uh, breaking a record, like breaking the sound barrier and promoting a product at the same time. I mean, uh, Bumgardner was decked out in in Red Bull Red Bull space gear um, with the logo all over him, prominently displayed, and Red Bull had, had paid for the stunt. Uh, I'd be interested to know, I, the, the article here doesn't mention how much it costs. I'm going to oh. look that up real quick. But what do you think of the space jump? Well, you know, Matt, I think it's a really good example. You know, one of the hardest things when you're establishing a brand is uh, establishing a brand identity. What does your brand stand for? What does it represent? And you want to be able to use as few of words as possible in describing that brand. So if you have to take eight sentences to describe your brand, it's not a very good brand. People should recognize it immediately. 
Um, and Red Bull has done an outstanding job of associating their brand with extreme sports. I mean, they're the extreme sports brand. It's not just space jumps. I mean, they do race cars and they do skateboarders and they do all sorts of crazy stunt stuff. Um, and they've done such a good job of associating themselves with that. If you had, if I had told you, Matt, oh, some company sponsored this guy jumping from space, you probably could have guessed Red Bull because they're just so associated with something like that. So it's, it's very successful for them um, in being the company to sponsor these types of events, um, creating a real firm brand identity. So prop, props to them for, for doing it, and I'm glad he, uh, he survived the jump. Yeah, um, I'm reading here that the entire stunt, the entire, did you want to, do you want to guess the price tag on that? $8 million. $8 million? Yeah. Got to go a lot higher than that. $80 million. No, lower than that. You got to split the difference. $36 million. $65 million. That's so the, a waste of money. The stunt that, in its entirety, it says it cost, it cost a little over $65 million. That is, that it, that is shockingly... <laughs> stupid <laughs> i i'm not sure i want to i want to know the specifics though i'd like to see like a like a data breakdown because i want to know how much bum gardner was paid for this stunt versus how much all he, the technology and yeah crap, crap, he was paid 64 million dollars so that's where the, that's where all the money went um, are, you, yeah. are you reading that somewhere no i made 60- no that's a no that's a joke <laughs> i was joking so, of course he didn't get 64 million out of it. money I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, uh, that's uh, gosh. I mean, I guess when you consider he could have died, but that's crazy. Oh, so it, well, here's something interesting. It was 65 years to the day after Chuck Yeager, the original aircraft pilot who broke the sound barrier in an aircraft. So exactly 65 years years to the day um, since Yeager had broke. The uh, broke the record previously. Nice. That's pretty neat. Very. I cool. think that's pretty neat. Um, and of course, scientists got uppity about whether it was the edge of space or the edge of the atmosphere. I don't know. I, I I'd give credit where credit is due. That's pretty amazing. Either way, he did it. This guy could hit the ground and smashed like a like a pumpkin. You know, Matt, this uh, this reminds me of a, a kind of related marketing promotion. I bet you, you haven't heard of this one, but um, talking about advertising things in space. Uh, are you familiar with the Arnold Schwarzenegger film flop, Last Action Hero? <laughs> uh, you know, that's not one of the Arnold's ones that I'm familiar with, no. It, it's a bananas movie, and very a lot of production issues ended up costing a zillion dollars and failing at the box office, one of his biggest bombs. Uh, but interestingly enough, back in 1993, uh, Columbia Pictures, who was producing the film, planned to be the first advertiser on the side of a space rocket. They paid NASA half a million dollars to have Last Action Hero painted on the side of an unmanned rocket that was being launched by NASA, uh, the first for the U.S. space program. Really? Yes. Huh. Interestingly enough, the rocket never took off. <laughs> and they never it never ended up going anywhere. But they announced it was going to be on the side of a rocket. Um, and the movie ended up being a giant flop. And then due to some technical reason, they delayed the rocket launch to the point where they just decided not to do it. And ever since, nothing's ever been advertised on a NASA spacecraft. 
Arnold Schwarzenegger himself was going to push the launch button. Wow. And that would have been the height of his of his uh, career. Maybe maybe if that had happened, he would have said, "You know what? I don't need to also be governor of California. I could just." I was gonna say, "Hang up my spurs right here." Might have been but the end again, of his we, career. We might not have ever gotten the greatest Arnold Schwarzenegger movie of all time. Jingle all the way. Oh, uh, an all time classic. Oh, Sinbad! Come on, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was Sinbad. Whatever happened it? to Sinbad? He's not you in know, things anymore. He's not that. I yeah. It was uh, Arnold and, and Sinbad. Yeah, he was uh, he was very funny in that. He he was in Good Burger too. Remember that? Yep, he was. He played the the boss, right? The manager. Uh, the no, no, he played the so uh, Keenan Thompson. No, so Keenan Thompson hits his car with with yes. his car, he's, and he's like he's the crazy Keenan's math teacher or something. Yes, right? and he has to yeah. pay for the repairs. That's why he needs the That's job. That's why he at... has to get the job at Good Burger. Good yes. Burger. Okay, you're right. Yes, now I remember. I just remember him being in some kind of like middling position of authority, teacher, manager of a burger place. Kind of, kind of. We kind of rank the same in society, I guess. So yeah, that's where Sinbad was. Oh, okay. Remember? Do you ever see First Kid? No, I never saw that. But um, was Sinbad in that? Sinbad was in that. He played a Secret Service agent. You ever see Kazam? Well, that wasn't. Was Sinbad in Kazam? That's Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, you're right. It's Shaquille O'Neal. The funny thing is, though, uh, the reason I bring that up is that a lot of people think they. They they swear, they swear that Sinbad was in a movie called Shazam. Ah, and there was there was never a movie called Shazam, and and Sinbad was never the star of it. The movie was Kazam, and it was starring. Uh, and it starred. Um, it starred Shaquille O'Neal. It was Sinbad a... never played a genie named Shazam. But yeah, it people was a... swear that this movie existed. And they get really mad when you tell them that, they, that it didn't because they they distinctly remember watching this movie as a kid. Well, matter okay. of fact, if you go on to onto Sinbad's Twitter, I think like half of his tweets are him disputing angry fans, telling him he was never in a movie called Shazam. Yeah, College Humor actually did uh, an April Fool's video where they got Sinbad to pretend to be in a fake movie called Shazam. Yeah. But our collective conscience must, you know, have substituted Shaquille O'Neal out for Sinbad. And oh, that's awesome. Shazam out for Shazam. But <laughs> that is funny. Uh, now, uh, now, Matt, I would mm -hmm. like to talk about a, a, a certain kind of marketing stunt. We've actually talked about this on the show before. It's the good old-fashioned sports promotion. Yes. A type of marketing stunt that sports teams often use to get people into the field. We did an episode where we created our own baseball team, which I recommend people listen to. It's one of the best we, we've ever done, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, we even created, I, what was it, Spaghetti Night? Oh, yep. It was, uh, I thought it was, uh, it was just Pasta Night. Pasta Night. But there was like a spaghetti yeah. eating competition. Oh, yeah. And the, and butter, like, the butter hands catch. Yeah, and like everyone, like the first thousand people got a free bowl of pasta or something. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was one of our best. That was one for the vault for sure. It's a classic. <laughs> but Matt, a lot of teams have had a lot of interesting uh, uh, promotion nights, many of which were very successful, including 
Uh, you may remember this. Ted Williams, the great baseball player, Ted Williams, famously was frozen upon his death and, uh, and kept uh, cryogenically frozen. That's why the Bisbee Douglas Copper Kings decided to host a Ted Williams Popsicle Night where they gave out popsicles to the first 500 fans in honor of frozen Ted Williams. Oh, wow. Uh, that sounds very much in poor taste. It is, it is in it? very poor taste. Get it? In poor taste. Is a popsicle? Mm-hmm. And he was frozen. Hmm. The, uh, how about the time the West Michigan Whitecaps experimented um, by lining a bunch of kids up along the outfield fence and then dropped $1,000 in cash from a helicopter and let the kids gather whatever they could. Two kids were trampled. One was hospitalized, and the whole thing was a disaster. I know we're doing positive <laughs> ones tonight, but I couldn't yeah. help but, but mention that because that cracked me up. Mm. Um, how about this one? Nobody night. The okay. Charleston River Dogs decided not to let anyone into the ballpark before the fifth inning so that the official attendance would be zero. Fans instead were sent to a party with discounted beer and then flooded the stadium once the attendance became <laughs> official. Is there a second part to this? Like, were they raucously drunk? Okay. No, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it says it was very successful. Uh, what? All right. I, I'll, I'll give them that one. They sent them to a party with discounted beer. I thought you were going to say they got the, the entire crowd became raucously drunk. And then when they went to the when they went to the the park, I was just having visions of the death to disco night. Remember uh, from or, uh, or the famous ten cent beer night, which was another time yes. when uh, when there was quite a big <laughs> riot. Um, how about uh, I'll give you one more for the road, and that would be uh, the I'm deciding which one I want to do here. Mike Tyson ear night. The Fort Myers Miracle of the Florida State League hosted Mike Tyson Ear Night, in which the first 1,000 fans received a fake ear. They were also given the opportunity to get a Mike Tyson face tattoo. Oh, wow. Very successful. Gotta love those sports promotions. Man, they come up with the craziest stuff to get people I know, in the sometimes door. Sometimes it's a tote bag. Sometimes it's a tote bag. Sometimes it's a little mini um, baseball helmet you can eat ice cream out of. I love that. Other times it's Mike Tyson's ear. They'll do anything. Yeah. Well, Sean, uh, how about another one from our fine friends at uh, Burger King? Placed by the name of Burger King. Ah, very regal. Yes, I've heard the of The king of all burgers. Presumptive, but okay. Um, so in 2015, this is a fairly, fairly recent one. How about I, I can't decide. I'm having trouble very a lot of trouble deciding whether this is a an example of a good marketing stunt or just a dumb one. I don't think it's bad in either way, but Burger King in 2015 called a truce with its biggest rival McDonald's. The goal uh, was to have one restaurant combined staffed with employees of both companies. And market a burger called the McWhopper, which was a blend of the Big Mac and the Whopper. I do remember that. Uh, all sales or sales proceeds would be donated to Peace One Day. Burger King uh, put forth this challenge or, or this offer. They, they, they extended the olive branch, as it were, to McDonald's. But McDonald's ended up declining. So it never got off the ground. Um, 
I do, I'm just wondering what might have been. What would the Mick Whopper? How would one experience this Mick Whopper? What would it be like? Disappointing. I think it would be disappointing. I don't think you should combine those two things. I'm I'm anti this idea. I got to be honest. <laughs> I don't, okay. I, I don't think you can improve on a Big Mac and a Whopper by putting them together. Hmm. I'm just I'm just being honest. I'm not going to hold back here. That's not a winning combination in my mind. Um. <laughs> yeah i I just struggle to think of what what would they, what would they do? Because the sense, I mean, it would would it be a? I'm picturing a Whopper with the the sauce from the. Well, the sauce from the from the from the Big Mac on a Whopper. What else could it possibly but, be? But I wouldn't want that. Because the two things, the two sandwiches are not that vastly different. Where no tomato, have, I guess on the wa- tomato whole two, onion. Like a like a combo of the two wouldn't I don't think would be that radical no. or drastic. No, it that's lame. Be, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, McDonald's rejected the idea. Apparently, Burger King put this whole thing on Twitter, like offered this this exchange on Twitter. So I guess that was maybe that was their chess move. They were expecting McDonald's to decline, but by being the company to to put it out there, they would kind of have their name attached to it, and that would generate some buzz or uh, some. Anyway, it it it, it looks to be kind of successful. I remember it. I mean, I remember yeah, when that it, happened. I, I I will say, if I'm McDonald's in this situation, I am irritated. I am annoyed. If I if 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 the biggest competitor to my company came to me and put out on Twitter that my company should partner with them, I'd be like, hell no! And you make me look like shit for saying no. Yeah, that's and that's pretty much what McDonald's said because the um, the McDonald's CEO. Um, Steve Easterbrook, he actually uh, responded to the tweet, you know, basically saying thanks, but no thanks. I like the idea, but um, let's just acknowledge that there is a simple, friendly business competition and certainly not the the unequaled circumstances of real pain and suffering of war. We'll be in touch. P.S. A simple phone call will do next time. Yeah, it's like what a so. what a garbage thing to do. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. So. Bummer. Yeah. In the world in the world of marketing stunts, not really the most exciting, but you uh, know, it, uh, just imagining what might have been just for that one day. What what might have been. A really mediocre hamburger <laughs> is very my forgettable. guess. Now, um, before we go to the next one, I, because we're, we're on the topic of uh, of the Burger King, uh, I do have another one. Have you heard of – I think this might have been one that we touched on in a previous episode. Have you heard of the left-handed Whopper? I have heard of the left-handed Whopper. Okay. So um, a marketing stunt like the left-handed Whopper – that kind of, I guess, goes um, – it, it kind of goes somewhere in the middle, somewhere like in, in the in the in-between of uh, like what Taco Bell did by buying, quote-unquote, buying the Liberty Bell. 
and what um what other what other companies have done at at buying putting their name on things that are that's not real the uh breaking the fourth wall the dominoes mm-hmm. that's where i was going with that dominoes breaking the fourth wall um the uh burger king corporation decided that they were going to um they were going to create the left-handed whopper essentially it's all the ingredients but reversed so that left-handed people could enjoy the same whopper as right-handed people uh, without having to flip the burger upside down cute cutesy cutesy marketing idea um i don't know if i'd really consider that a stunt but it was out there for a while yeah yeah a week yeah. Weak. You know, the reason the Taco Liberty Bell one is clever is because it's A, plausible. I mean, companies are trying to sponsor stuff all the time, so it's not crazy. And B, it makes sense for Taco Bell to sponsor the Liberty Bell. The thing about the left-handed Whopper, it's like, that doesn't even, that's like not even a thing. Like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> like, it's just, I, I, yeah. Like, you I, have I to read that. Just them, they were trying to be like kind of twee about it. Kind of cutesy, but then it's not a then calling kind of it precious. A, but then it's not an April Fool's joke. You know what I'm saying? It's not. It's yeah. not. It's not like a prank. It's not. It's it's a it's like a a weak joke at best. Yeah, the left-handed whopper. Um, I mean, again, we're talking about it, so I guess on some level it was successful. <laughs> you know, this was back in 1998, so 20 years later, we're talking about it. I I think if you're if you're gonna go with twee ideas. I like um, the J- the Jason Alexander one, where the the uh, the one where Jason Alexander starred in the in the commercial for it. We talked about the it. McD on a LT. The McD LT. The McD LT. Yeah, I like that idea. That's a great like having separating the cold and the hot. Keep the hot, or just hot. Keep the cool, cool. <laughs> that's a, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, I could bring that back. I'd get a McD LT. Now, Matt, I got one for you, but I'm actually going to quiz you because I want to see how successful this promotion was for this company. So I'm not going to tell you what company it was for. Okay. You know the promotion. Happened on a very famous talk show. A certain Oprah Winfrey came out to her whole audience and said she was doing something special that episode. She was going to give away a car. Not just one car. Two cars, three cars, four cars. You get a car. You get a car. You get a car. Oprah gave away 276 cars for a total retail value of nearly $8 million to her studio audience that day. The question is, Matt, do you remember what car company those cars were for? Sean, um, I do. I do know the company. The company was Pontiac. Hey! But the only reason I know that <laughs> is because of, of doing research we for this We read the same episode. articles, yeah. There was no, there was absolutely no way I would have known. And I was thinking about that, and I was actually going to, I was going to bring that up as one of my, uh, as one of my marketing stunts. There was, I, I didn't, uh, until I read that article, I had no recollection of the, of the car that, that she had given away. Matter of fact, I didn't even realize it was a marketing stunt. I thought it was an Oprah Winfrey marketing stunt, mm-hmm. not a not a car marketing stunt. So I would say in in the in the grand scheme of things, that one for me personally backfired because see I I did not remember the name of the car that she had given away the brand. Now, granted, like 
if somebody had missed seeing that on 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 television when it when it aired and they had checked the internet and read an article about it, the article probably if if the writer had didn't done you know thorough research, they would have mentioned the the Pontiac brand. But and then maybe maybe they would be able to relate to it. But um, no, I don't. I did not remember that it was a Pontiac until until reading the article. Yeah, I did remember but that's because i'm a nerd who remembers things i think the reason i want to bring this up on our mission accomplished episode is i think as a stunt wildly successful everyone remembers the stunt the stunt worked worked brilliantly worked well for oprah worked well for a show worked well for those people who got all those cars even though they had to pay seven thousand dollars in tax on each of them um which kind of defeats the purpose of a free car but you're absolutely right for pontiac for general motors they did not do a good job of getting the Pontiac name out there um, and promoting yeah. that they were Pontiacs. I mean, there were no signs. There were no... I mean, there were no. a few press photos of the people, like, holding up the keys in front of the car. Sure. But, like, even then, they would, like, block... You wouldn't even... You wouldn't know it was... Of course, they the were focus, pretty... Yeah. They were the generic-looking cars, to be fair. They're not... Yeah. Pontiac G6s in 2004 were not the most interesting cars ever made. Yeah, the, the focus was definitely not... Not on the brand at all. Not on the company at all. So the, I think the message kind of got lost oh, there. Oh, God, that's an for, ugly for car. Oof. <laughs> um, Sean, I'm out of stunts, but I wanted to talk a little bit about – I don't know how you feel about this, but um, there are some helpful – eight helpful tips. Eight helpful tips for marketing stunt success. Oh, awesome. And, and since you're a marketing stunt I will guy, have opinions. You all you, – you know all about the marketing. Uh, I wanted to go through each point and just kind of discuss it, just kind of yeah. unpack each one with you. All I right? love it. You ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with number one. Go for it. All right. Tip number one. Marketing stunts need to be entertaining and engaging, but they also must be rooted in a coherent narrative that integrates with the rest of the marketing message. That was a lot of gibberish, but I kind of agree with it. I kind of agree with it because the first part, which was what it's got to be engaging and entertaining and engaging, but also rooted in a coherent narrative. Yeah. I think what they're saying is that, and I think left-handed Whopper is a good example of this is that left-handed Whopper doesn't, isn't really related to Burger King in any way, other than the fact it's a Whopper. It doesn't play into the Burger King story. Um, Oprah is known for giving things away. So the fact that she gave away a car makes a lot of sense. That's part of her narrative, but to just say something goofy about, I could say, Oh, OMG is now making purple roofing screws. And like, but that's not, that doesn't have anything to do with what we're about. So I think yeah, that's a really like, fair point. Like the, I, I, my, when I read this, my first thought was the Red Bull skydiver, the Perfect. stratosphere, like, yeah, energy drink, you, you know, exciting stunts, craziness, engaging that, that fits with their narrative. Sure. Yep. Um, and I and I guess maybe that's what Burger King was going for in their not in the left-handed Whopper, but in the alliance with McDonald's for one day because everybody knows that they're bitter rivals and and all that. They play it up for marketing all the time, but yep. you know to make peace for one day that kind of fits with the narrative of this this culture war between the two companies. Um, in a similar stunt that I didn't mention, um, the Pepsi actually went blue. For the first time in the mid '90s, I mm -hmm. think in '96, '95 or '96, they they rebranded their entire image to eliminate red and white to, for for the time, 
um, or at least the red, because the red resembled too much Coca-Cola. For sure. So they went all blue. It was Pepsi just blue, which I wonder if that had any impact on the the Pepsi blue beverage of the mid-2000s. Like the drink, the yeah. Pepsi blue, the drink? I don't yeah, know. I have no idea. I don't know. All right. If you, you at home, if you're confused about Pepsi blue, look it up. Ask your parents. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ask your parents. Uh, tip number two. Are we ready to move on to tip number two? Yeah. Okay. Um, tip number two. Most stunts necessitate a picture and video element. If that's the case, you need to resist the temptation to kill them with corporate branding and logos. Credit the audience and media with some intelligence and respect. Great campaigns prompt people to learn more. They will want to know who did this and why. They're cramming a lot of, like, this could have been 16 points. They're kind of cramming a lot into each of these points. Yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely got to be, a visual element is huge to this. You can't just read about something that's happening. Seeing is believing. Talk about that uh, Taco uh, Liberty Bell print ad, taking up a whole page of the paper. looks like a real ad that they were actually placing. Um, but you're absolutely right. You don't have to tell someone that you're the company behind a stunt. You let them figure it out for themselves. Uh, and not only is that more authentic, but it's also more valuable for the people who do figure it out. They feel like they actually accomplished something. We talked last week a bit about um, all ARG, alternate reality games, where you kind of have to solve a puzzle and figure something out. So we talked about the Toyota example that didn't go as well. But at least, uh, you know, the ones that have worked out, people really feel a lot of value from. So, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that's a a really good point. It's not a good stunt if it's... if Well, that's not true. Because some stunts, you do want people to know it's you. You just don't want to really make it in, in your face about it. Yeah. I, I think a good example of this in reverse is the uh, Pontiac with the, the Oprah Pontiac thing. Like, they didn't yep. brand it enough. So they, most people didn't even know it was a marketing thing um, unless they read articles about it later on. Yep. Um, but another another one I think of of not doing this enough, I'm, I'm thinking of the Toyota ARV from last week. Yeah, like it, they didn't brand it at all and the, a woman ended up getting traumatized and stalked for yep. it. So very bad. Harassed. Um, tip number three, Sean. Sometimes it's easier to join a conversation than to start one. There are endless opportunities to ride the topical news agenda and calendar events as a platform to talk about your brand. I agree with the first half and not necessarily the second half. The first half, uh, jump on a conversation that exists, is very smart. I've personally done that. I've had people comment on things I've posted on behalf of my company and use the things they've posted to inform other posts or other marketing concepts. So listening to what your audience is already saying absolutely plays into what you should be doing in your marketing because they'll have ideas you never thought of. So don't be don't be afraid to ask them for it. I think the second half, which was what again? Um, there are endless opportunities to ride the topical news agenda and calendar events as a platform to talk about your brand. Uh, uh, you want to be careful. I think this is a, a bit of a minefield. I think April Fool's Day is way overdone. I think if you think you're going to get press traction on April Fool's Day, you have to have an amazing stunt because you're going to get lost. And so I wouldn't put a lot of effort into that. And a lot of holidays, you got to be careful. Look, we, we all probably remember the, the famous... Um, what was it? The SpaghettiOs tweet on uh, Pearl Harbor Day or 9-11 
where it had the little Oreo O's guy holding up a flag, um, which was very inappropriate. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that. That's great. I think AT&T had a really insensitive 9-11 ad a few years ago, too, uh, on Twitter. So you want to be careful what, what holidays you're choosing and, and the joke you choose to make. So be careful. I, I think you might stand out more if you don't do it on a predictable holiday because then you're outside of what everyone else is doing. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, it was uh, Pearl Harbor. Day. It was Pearl Harbor. Yep. Yeah, which is so funny. That image of the O's guy holding up that flag. I just, I just found it. It's yeah. so inappropriate. It's great. Um, I, I think that companies and Twitter in general just need to be careful. I think a lot of the times they're trying to go too far in one direction with with being funny yep. and topical, and I think they end up they really end up eventually. I think it's just a matter of time before they all just get in, get themselves in in trouble. You don't always have to say something. That's the most important thing. You don't have to post on every holiday. You don't have to say something when every event happens. It's okay to be reserved. There's no shame in that. Yeah. Um. Somebody responded to the tweet, the controversial SpaghettiOs tweet. Yeah, yeah, but I bet you guys hadn't thought of SpaghettiOs in years until yesterday. And I think that that's interesting. Like negative news is still news. Negative attention is still attention. And in in the cutthroat world of marketing, you know, I mean, I'll put it this way. I don't know if anybody was out there boycotting SpaghettiOs because of the tweet. No. Well, they put out an apology, a a very nice apology pretty quickly. And that is the upside of a tweet is they're gone pretty quick. You know, people forget it, but there's always something new. So it's not like you took out a big print ad or put up a billboard or something where it's going to be there for a while. That's true. Uh, All right. The next one is number four. People love audacity, originality bravery and of course they love to be entertained the best marketing stunt is both audacious and bold the greater the risk the greater the return um that's a little bit bs that's a little bit bs to me i think yeah you do want to be bold you want it to stand out but i wouldn't just go crazy for crazy sake we talked earlier in the episode about your brand identity and at some point, you can do the craziest stunt in the world, but if it doesn't reinforce the brand or doesn't relate to your products, if you're just doing crazy for crazy sake, then uh, it doesn't make sense. A good example of this, we didn't talk about it, goldenpalace.com online casino is famous. They buy crazy shit for a lot of money. So they bought, I think, toast with uh, Mary... Uh, uh, with uh, Jesus Virgin in it. Mary. With the Virgin yeah. Mary. In it mm-hmm. for like $28,000... They bought, uh, oh, here it is. I, I happen to have it in front of me. Um, they bought the grilled cheese sandwich for $28,000 with the Virgin Mary. They bought William Shatner's kidney stone for $25,000. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of neat. And we're talking about it, but that does nothing for me about goldenpalace.com. You know, I mean, yeah, it's bold. It's audacious, but it's not really relevant. Yeah, that's another. I think that's another violation of um, number number one. Because where, where is your narrative? What is your narrative? We just buy a bunch of crazy shit, and like yep. that's what we do. What's the narrative of your? What is that saying about your company? Like we're irresponsible with your money. Like yeah, we have too much of your money. You can't <laughs> win at our site. 
we clearly have too much money as it is, and and we're not using it to improve our our product. So we just use it to to piss away on in, in insane anomalies. So and artifacts. Yep. So, um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that that we want it. We want to be you know brave and audacious. And I get the the higher risk, higher return. But think about something like from last week with the the swimming pool, right? The uh, Jägermeisters filled uh, filled the pool with noxious gas. High yeah. risk because it ended up harming a lot of people. But was the return really that great? Also, uh, even even better example, the Cleveland balloons thing. High risk, but the return. Not so great. Well, and it's, again, it's kind of like the Oprah Cars thing where it's like, yeah, the balloon thing is cool, but is anyone going to remember that the United Way put it on? Probably not. They're going right. to remember those people who died in the river. Yeah. Yeah, and the planes that weren't able to take off and, and everybody's whose day was ruined. Possibly lives were ruined, too. Exactly. Uh, yeah, tip number five. With the right idea... A brand can also engage with its audience on a far more meaningful level, building in social, exper experiential, and interactive elements. Yeah, so these, I think these points are starting to run out of steam a little bit. I think after <laughs> point five, they're like, shit, we got to do three more. I know, um, it's like they said eight as their arbitrary number. Yeah, it's a bit of a stretch of a point. Yeah, no, uh, people who interact with brands feel better about them. I think that's kind of a no-brainer statement i think if you do things people like they'll like you more I, I you know i don't have much to add to that that's kind of just common sense yeah and i think six and seven and eight uh, kind of fall on the same line six is interrogate the idea thoroughly always ask the difficult questions what could go wrong well that's important which a lot of a lot of companies i don't think do although uh, it is funny that way. one of their earlier points was be bold but also make sure you don't fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Be bold, but ask, yeah, but what, cautiously could, what could bold. go wrong? Be cautious. Yeah. Cautiously bold. Uh, remember, you are not trying to hoodwink the media. You are delivering something smart, something artful, and something entertaining that will delight their readers. That's a really good point. I think that is a really good point because uh, you do have to treat the press differently than your customers in a situation like that. And you... You obviously don't want to fully let them in on it, but you also don't want them to think that they're trying to be fooled. I think that's that's a very fair point. Um, the, the the press is your greatest friend, so treat them treat them with respect when you're when you're trying to stunt like that. Yeah, and that was number seven. And lastly, number eight, hire a decent agency that knows the game. Cough, cough. I was about to say this was posted by an agency. Yeah, this was uh, yeah. I got to give credit. This was all these tips uh, from this site was were posted by James Herring, uh, co-founder of the creative PR agency Taylor Herring. Mm. Um, Sounds expensive. And uh, you could find this article on www.thedrum.com. That's where uh, we went for this this article here. Thedrum.com. Nice. Well, I think those are all very good us, points. In case they try to sue us for reading their article on a podcast. I don't think they'll, they'll find us. And if they do sue us, we'll use that as viral marketing. That's right. The little podcast getting sued <laughs> by the big marketing company. 
I mean, Matt, has any company ever tried that? Like, gotten sued by a lar- much larger company and used that in their marketing? Um, I'm sure. I can't think. the The only example, and that's just because I'm reading a book about it currently, is famously the USFL sued the NFL for um for having a monopoly on uh, on football and uh, hoped that that would propel them into into the spotlight. But no, I'm sure it's happened. I can't think of any specific examples, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. This doesn't me thinking, Matt, though. Uh, what's what's going to be uh, the big marketing stunt for Up for Debate? Um, we we got to get this show out. We got to get our name out there. That's a good question. Hmm. Uh, how much are balloons? Well, uh, one balloon? No, I'm talking like thousands of balloons. So you want lots of small balloons? Possibly millions of balloons. Okay. Digital balloons. How about that? Oh, that sounds very affordable. Email them. Yeah. That's her milestone. We email some balloons. Yeah. You know what? It reminds me of, remember when you would get like a, you get an email, you'd open it up. And it would it would be like a little it would be like a little um, little screen would pop up and then the screen would go all over your your screen and you couldn't click it off. Have you ever gotten one of those? Yes, those are terrible. Yeah, and it, w- there was one that would say "You are an idiot" and it would like play this little song and dance all over your screen and you couldn't click it off. Those were great. I I remember the, I remember on AIM I used to send them to people all the time. You could disguise the hyperlink as something else. They would click it and it would pop up. It would go all over their screen. We could do that. We could just annoy people with that. That would make them want to listen to our podcast. I think our marketing stunt should be that the next time there is a presidential debate, I think we should hijack the feed from the broadcaster (laughs) and we'll have like a, a, a realistic looking fake debate set, except it'll be you and me. Yep. And we'll be up for debate. This is up for debate. <laughs> we'll now return you to the real presidential debate, but if you'd like to see more of me and Matt, visit upfordebate.tv. Yes, if we could figure out a way to do that. I mean, it's super, like, crazy illegal to do Crazy that. illegal. But, but, the, but the buzz, think of the buzz. Be bold. That's right, be bold. It's one, that was one of the tips. Yep. When we get out of jail, we'll have one of the most successful podcasts out there. I think it's a foolproof plan. I'm glad we thought of it. That's like for game nights, we could hijack um, the Super Bowl halftime show. Yes. And now so game nights game presents nights. the Super Bowl Boy, halftime this show. It's a great game, but if you want to see some great, some real great games, you could watch our podcast. It's called The Game Nights. Like, now who, back to the action. Everyone's going to be like, are those the same guys who hijacked the presidential <laughs> debate? How do they keep getting away with this? Yeah. Uh Matt, we are just about out of time for this week. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up on marketing stunts? Um, I think just in closing, yeah. Um, marketing stunts are, are really interesting. The, the, I have to say, researching these, uh, researching these marketing stunts has given me a new appreciation for the world of marketing. Uh, I never really stopped to think about the time and effort and planning it takes to do things like this. I never really, until I read that the book console wars, I never really contemplated marketing stunts as anything other than, Oh, like this company is just trying to have some fun, right? Like, Oh, this seems like a fun thing that they're doing, but all the intention that goes behind it, um, reading about 
uh, the um, Sonic promotion put out by uh, by by the uh, Sega Sega folks um, in the book. So uh, the intention behind it is, is really interesting, and um, I'm I'm uh, I'm intrigued by it. It's, it's very intriguing from a from a psychological and sociological point of view. Yeah, I mean, I, I can say that the theories of marketing, the science of marketing is absolutely endless and fascinating. The realities of doing marketing, not as fun. I, as someone who does marketing, it's a lot of BS nonsense you have to go through to do marketing. It's not an easy job by any stretch, but it is very fulfilling and very interesting. And I'm glad we got an opportunity to do a couple hours on it here on the show. Matt, I have to admit, when you pitched the topic, I was very hesitant, but I think it went very well. And I hope everyone out there enjoyed it as much as we did. If you liked it, we want to hear your feedback. You can email us, upfordebatetv at gmail.com, or tweet at us, at upfordebatetv. Let us know what you thought if you want to hear more episodes like these. Of course, this and all our past episodes are available on our website anytime, upfordebate.tv. Go there, check it out. Of course, you can also subscribe to the show. Best way to get new episodes when they become available. Video version is on YouTube, audio version, wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere. Check us out. Still not on Spotify. I'm trying to get us on there. Very hard to get in. Someday. Um, that's about it. We will be back next time with another great debate here on the program. On behalf of Matt, I'm Sean. Thank you for joining us. Hope you as much fun as we did. And we'll see you next time for even more debate here on Up for Debate.